3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. America. I'd be one to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. My mom always used to say that comparisons are odious. I finally understand why. Comparisons are constantly being used to scare you into taking no action. Even when you should be buying something hand over fist, when the market gets annihilated, as it did earlier this week, before we got to this placid session, where the Dow inched up 38 points, S&P advanced 0.28%, and NASDAQ gained 0.23%. Let me give you a classic example. Let's talk Tesla versus Ford. When Tesla's market capitalization passed the size of Ford Motor, which was a much larger company, at least in sales, a cacophony of Wall Streeters told you that Tesla obviously had to be overvalued and had to be sold. But it turns out that Tesla deserved to pass Ford on the way to passing just about every other entity out there. It's now trading dollar company for him's sake. If you sold it just because of the Ford comparison, boy, did you miss out on one of the greatest rallies in living memory. Yet back then, you were told over and over again that Tesla shouldn't have a higher market capitalization than Ford. An odious compare. Oh, then it was compared to Ford and GM. Oh, and then they had to throw in Toyota. At the time, this all seemed self-evident to the bears. They thought that Tesla's valuation was self-evidently absurd. Turned out the flip side was true. Few thought that Ford's valuation was too high. They certainly didn't imagine it dropping to the single digits while Tesla cruised higher and higher, which leads me to the curious case of all the people currently being left behind by this market. Something that feels almost tragic because stocks seem to want to lift right now, even when they aren't supposed to. I think regular investors are routinely misled by the whole brokerage house hedge fund journalist triad. It's not that they're out to get you. They're not. But they sure as heck aren't out to save you either. Even their neutrality can frighten you away from buying something good, especially when the market's down and it's easy to scare anyone out of their wits. Take, take the obsession with the Fed, and we all have it, right? The obsession with the Fed. Most see all of this harping about the Fed's lack of gumption when it's coming to fight inflation. That's the theme, right? So many commentators speak almost in unison to complain that j Powell dropped the ball and now the American middle class, you, is going to have to pay the price at the pump, pay the price at the supermarket, and, of course, pay the price in your portfolio. The drumbeat got even louder today when we got a consumer price index number that's 7% higher than last year. I don't like that. Now, I know that lots of people share this view. But the thing is, many of the ones who come on TV to bash the Fed for not being hawkish enough you don't know. Maybe they're actually trying to profit from your panic. If they can scare you into selling stocks, that gives them a better chance to cover the short positions. You've got to remember that many of the professionals who come on air are simply talking their book. They just won't say, listen, if you sell, I make a lot of money. As I see it, j Powell won't try to destroy the economy in order to save it, because he already tried that once in 2018, and it was wrong, and he learns from his mistakes. This time, he's emphasized that things are too hot. But he didn't beat us over the head with a schedule of rate hikes. He even did the unthinkable yesterday and said, I don't know if he caught the testimony, he said he was going to use common sense. Novel, right? Common sense is how it would have This took a lot of hedge funds and their media acolytes by surprise. If you listen to these people, you would have missed out on yesterday's terrific move. Then there's the supposed sin of dip buying. All right, this one really bothers me. We compare the dips to the geniuses, right? The geniuses who don't do dips and the morons who buy dips. Every time the market tumbles, dip buyers come in to tell us to pick up some stock. Somehow these people are widely dismissed as idiots. Yet every dip in the last decade has been a buying opportunity. Historically speaking, it's a pretty good strategy. But you only hear it talked about derisively. And and, uh, you know what? It does make me angry. Now, it's possible that the dip buyers come in too soon. It, look, even a good strategy can be poorly executed. But it's absurd that we treat dip buyers as the height of idiocy. Of course you should be trying to buy stocks at lower prices. We should be praising anyone with the intestinal fortitude to buy Monday's dip, not hinting that they're a bunch of clueless lightweights who got lucky. They're always described as dopes who don't know any better. What a boist comparison. And how unfair. Or how about this? How about this idea of index funds versus individual stock picking that I'm hearing again? Portfolio managers love to bash individual stock picking in some mugs game. At, at, even when they're literally doing it, they're taking your money so they can do it you got a whole cottage industry out there that exists to promote index fund and argue that stock picking is for jumps as it's jumps. They can't coexist. You're either index funds or picking stocks. Index fund's smart, picking stocks, dumb. I come back and say, what the hell? How did this become an either-or situation? Those of us who believe in stock picking have never once said you shouldn't go near index funds. The opposite. I like index funds, but I like individual stock picking for you, too. The whole proposition of CBC's Investing Club, which we're really gearing up with some videos next week, is that you can learn to be your own professional money manager, side-by-side ownership of both index funds and individual stock picks from the recommended list we put together for my travel trust. The insistence that individual stocks are dangerous, but when wrapped up in an index fund basket, they're fine. Wasn't well, that a comedy of errors? Finally, let me give you the most pernicious of strategies that scare you into taking action by making you feel stupid. We have lots of ephemeral trends in this business, something that rises and falls in rapid fashion and therefore should be avoided. We don't like fads here, but you need to be pretty nimble to take advantage of short term fads. And that's not something I can do. I don't know if you can do it. I bet you can't. Yeah. Wall Street creates these endless ETF baskets to take advantage of the buzz of what people want, like cybersecurity, infrastructure, electric vehicle batteries or buzz itself. They make you feel like you're smart for investing in an entire red-hot sector rather than trying to pick the best-of-breed operators, which is what we do here. That kind of faux diversification is applauded on Wall Street. They tell you that you're avoiding single-stock risk, even when the single-stock may be the best-performing the group. Not helpful. Gibberish. I point all these out because, once again, it looks like we've had a decent opportunity to make money. Now, now, some of it's passed. That was last Monday. One, it started when the stock market plummeted earlier this week. It was, for the moment, a real good dip. But if you roll back the tape, you won't hear all that many people coming out on air to say, buy that dip, even if that's what they might have been doing themselves. They don't want you to do it. Not because they're trying to help you save money, but because they don't want to get caught on YouTube saying anything positive in case the market keeps going lower and it will be used against them for the rest of their lives. When bulls are wrong, they get torn to pieces. But nobody cares when the bears are wrong. You never see their tapes on YouTube. As a result, on average, most commentators are too bearish. Why not? They'll never look bad on YouTube. So I want you to do this. I want you to have a list of stocks you like and prices where you think they're worth buying. If you don't have your own, go ahead and use the ones we've already vetted for the Channel Trust and the Investing Club, which really goes into high gear next week. The bottom line, when your favorite stocks hit those prices, you buy them. That's how you avoid getting scared out of your wits by people who want to make you feel like a moron for being rational. Let's go to Jeff in Alabama. Jeff. Jim, many thanks for taking my call. Quite welcome. Welcome. And
1: many thanks for the inv- invaluable information you're giving out on your uh, daily newsletter. Oh, thank you. Thank
3: you. It's going to be really good. we got the one I'm looking at in the morning. And we're going to have videos. And then, of course, we have our intraday. We do all of our action before we, we let you take it ahead of us. What's going on? Well,
1: a few months ago, under the advice of my broker, I bought shares of Zoom. And immediately, the prices of the stock share began to plummet. So after, after a period of time and enough pain, I sold my shares a few weeks ago. But the question here is, A, what went wrong since Zoom seems to be a pretty good company, and wherever you go, people are Zooming, and uh, the question
3: is, what happened there? And secondly, now that it's down 100 points, is it now a good delay? Thank OK, uh, it's, it's are great you. question. Zoom has a great balance sheet. They have a lot of about five billion dollars in cash. They have to diversify away from just being Zoom. That's why I like that five nine acquisition that did not work out. And that really hurt the company. They have to. I think they have to do an acquisition, or make some very serious investments. My, uh, my stepson works at Zoom, for uh, but we don't talk about it. But I do think that Zoom, uh, because they didn't get that deal done. That's why the stock's going down. People feel they're not. Aggressive enough in diversifying away after they have all that cash. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack, hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. Quite well. I got in, I got in a few months ago before
1: the run-up with a good dividend yield. It has too much good news to take any off the table. Is it okay to add more or enjoy the ride this year?
3: A-B-B-V, Abvi. Okay, abvi has been one of us big, biggest winners for the Travel Trust, and we actually uh, recently took some off because we thought that uh, we had such a gigantic gain. So if I'm doing that, I cannot count as buying it here. We are anxious to buy it. If it comes back to the, the 100 area, which it continues to do, we are going to be, we'll pick some up, uh, the stock that we sold. But right now, no, I can't tell you to buy if, we're, if we just did some selling. We need to go to Denny in Florida. Denny. Hello, Dr. Kramer. Hi. Thank you for the opportunity to seek guidance. Excellent.
1: Now, this now this is important, as Josh Braun would say. Charles River Laboratories represents 10% of my total portfolio, and I'm a retired veterinarian on fixed income. CRL declined rapidly following its peak in late September 2021. Do I continue to hold long-term, sell a portion, or sell all? And move on to two or three of your charitable trucks fund holdings for diversification. Now, my 13-year-old granddaughter, Bianca, and myself, your young and old disciples, express our sincere appreciation for your thoughts, for a prudent way forward. Here's Excellent. Thank you, Jim.
3: All right. Look, I think Charles River Labs is sensational. I think I think Foster's great. I think that this is one of the situations where it's a high growth stock. that sells at a high price and people are selling those, but it's profitable. So it's one that you should be buying on weakness, not selling. And thank you for those great calls. I want you to have a list of stocks you like and prices where you think they're worth buying. When your favorite stocks hit those prices, you buy them. Oh, Money tonight, in the face of a volatile market, one of the most important things you can do is make sure you hold a diversified portfolio. And that's where we're playing in my diversified to see if the portfolios of Cray got pass the test. And investors have changed the channel on Viacom CBS. But is the stock now too cheap to ignore? I'm going to give you my take. Plus, how about the best stock of, of last year? That's Devon Energy. And it's already started the year up with a bag. So could the energy giant remain a winner in the new year? I'm checking in with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow
2: at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact.
0: Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: Every night I come out here on a mission to share the stock picks and investing strategies I think are going to keep you, home gamers of KMARC, in the green. But with a market as volatile as this one's become, it can be tricky to navigate. It's why we set up our CNBC Investing Club. And it's why it's important to stay diversified. It's the reason why we play a little game that I created about 20 years ago called Am I Diversified? And I play it here on Mad Money. This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings, I tell if your portfolio is diversified enough. Or maybe you need to mix it up a little. So why don't we start with a tweet from at Todd C. Fields? The tweet says, at Man Money on CNBC and at Jim Cramer, mm-hmm. from 10,000 feet in the Colorado Rockies, mountain high. My top five holdings are Apple, Coinbase, Ford, Enviche, PayPal, and MI diversified? Okay, here we go. Um, I do not like this company. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you want to be in that business, just give me United Health. Okay, if you want healthcare, United Health, uh, PayPal. The, the people hate this stock. It's in my portfolio. For uh, you know, it, my, my portfolio. By the way, it, it, this is the most challenged position. But it's 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 all about trying to be. It's a fintech company, which means we can get rid of Coinbase because that also is a fintech company. You've got healthcare there. Let's get a diversified industrial. I like Honeywell, Apple. You know, own it, don't trade it, and Ford. Major position, both these major positions, and this for our charitable trust. So I, you know, we got rid of Coinbase, uh, and we gave you an industrial. We we got rid of this thing, and we're putting in. Uh, I'm not kidding. I just don't think this thing offers a lot of value. They missed the quarter really badly, and we've got a healthcare company, and the rest are going to be fine. Auto and tech, and you've got a good situation. We have to make those changes, though. Dan in Ohio, Dan. Hi, Jim. This is Dan from Ohio, longtime viewer.
1: My five largest holdings are the Southern Company, SO, Verizon, VZ, ConocoPhillips, COP, Philip Morris, PM, and Union Pacific, UNP. Am I diversified? Thanks, Jim.
3: Good luck. I love this portfolio. I just say it point blank, okay? Southern, good yield. I mean, do I like American Launcher Power? Absolutely. I like it more, but Southern's fine. Philip Morris, do I like the tobacco stock? Market? No, but I like growth and yield. Union Pacific, my travel trust owns it. It's going to be uh, doing more buyback than yield, but I think it's fine. See, utility, tobacco, railroad, Phillips, high-yielding oil company, fantastic. Verizon, high-yielding telco company, great. So, yeah, telco, you got oil, you got transport, you got tobacco, and you got utility, You've got exactly what I want when we came up with this game. Let's go to Luis in North Carolina. Luis. Hi, Jim. This Hi. is Luis in North Carolina. Excellent. Glad to be here again, trying to get my portfolio balanced and diversified in what might be a tough year 22. Okay. My five stocks are Apple, Thermo Fisher, Ford. I know you like that one. McDonald's, one of my longtime favorites. And a new one to give a little cess um, to it Rocket Labs. Thank you. Ooh, wow. A very, very interesting portfolio. Because of the new spice that they're adding in with Rocket Lab, which is, a, you know, frankly, a space system stock that should be much higher, but it loses a lot of money. But we're going to hold on to it because it's unlike the other space systems ones, it isn't a hype job, okay? So, you know, does space. McDonald's, we think, is a fantastic. Quick serve restaurant. You know, we like Ford. We like Apple. These are two own, don't trade from a uh, travel trust. Thermo Fisher's fantastic. It really is. It's it's a great analytical company, scientific based, diagnostic, diagnostic. Uh, let's call it space. I don't know. Restaurant, auto and tech. Perfect. Perfect. Let's go to Tina in Michigan. Tina. Hi, Jim. Tina from Michigan. Hi,
0: Tina. I'm a long term viewer and investment club member. My five stocks are Microsoft, Ford, Apple, Boeing, and BP. Am I diversified?
3: You have a lot of Chapel Trust names here, Boeing, Chapel Trust, Ford, Apple, and Microsoft. I think Microsoft is, as I said at the beginning of this week, unassailable. Unassailable. It stocks down a lot. I'm going to say keep it. We're going to say we're going to allow Apple and Microsoft. We're going to allow them. Why? Because Microsoft is a software company and Apple is a hardware company with great service revenue stream. BP, not my favorite oil, but is the capability. I I like Devin Moore And then obviously Chevron from the Travel Trust. I think they're better. Boeing's making a comeback here. It's undeniable now because of the way that the 737 sold in 2021. And there's great loyalty from the customers. Auto, consumer tech, okay, enterprise tech and some of the stuff that we're stuck with, oil and aerospace. That works with me. I'm fine. And Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up,
2: should investors open an eye to a familiar logo? Kramer finds out if Viacom CBS is too cheap to ignore. Next...
3: still on the hunt for quality companies with real earnings, real dividends and cheap stocks, because that's exactly what works in this new environment. Tonight, I've got one that might surprise you. It certainly surprised me when we first started you know, getting the, taking the book out, looking at it. I'm talking about Viacom CBS, which has been a chronic underperformer since long before Viacom and CBS merged in 2019, reuniting the two halves of the Southern Redstone media empire. Aside for a brief period when Viacom exploded higher in the late 2020 and early 2021, when it was being outright manipulated by a bad actor, this thing had been pretty much dead money. In fact, it tumbled to a new 52-week low roughly three weeks ago, although it's now repealed the latest decline. The thing is, while Viacom is clearly a broken stock, I don't think it's a broken company. Not at all. I actually think the business has got, got a lot going for it. I mean, consider that the stock trades at roughly nine times earnings with a 2.75% dividend yield. Ooh, it starts to look mighty enticing. Viacom's a good value play in a world that suddenly cares about value. Let me give you some background, and then you'll get into the details since you understand why I like it so much. Now, I don't want to dive too deep into the Redstone family drama that preceded the CBS Viacom merger or re-merger. Just watch Succession. That'll give it to you. And we don't need to get into the Archegos mess where hedge fund used derivatives to pull up a huge long position in Viacom CBS with an inane, insane amount of leverage They used the same collateral to borrow from multiple brokerage houses engineering a relentless rally, short squeezed before the whole thing fell apart. You know, they were able to sell some I've got to tell you. That squeeze was uh, it it frightened everybody. And I think it frightened people to not touch the stock. Uh, And that's why I think it's never really recovered. But after a nasty downdraft into late December, Viacom CBS started to rebound. It's now up a quick 24 percent from its lows a little more than three weeks ago. And you know what? I think it's the beginning of a move. Why? First off, as we get further away from the Archegos debacle, I think more and more investors will be willing to consider owning this one. It was manipulated. People don't like that. They left it alone. But that's now in the past. And, And, you know, look, in the aftermath of the meltdown, a lot of people put Viacom, CBS on their do not touch list for the remainder of 2021. But it's not 2021 anymore. Second, similarly, the stock got hit late last year in large part because of tax loss selling. Investors love to take unrealized losses in order to offset their tax bills at the end of the year, not the end of the year anymore. Third and most important, ever since the Fed pivoted and started talking about getting more aggressive and fighting inflation, Wall Street's preferences have changed. High growth, high multiple stocks that are losing money are out of style. Instead, we like stocks that are backed by meaningful earnings, solid dividends, especially if they're cheap. And Viacom CBS is cheap under any standard that you use. Of course, we don't buy cheap stocks simply for the sake of their cheapness. Bye bye bye! That's how you get caught in a value trap. But if the business is getting better, that's a different story. And when it comes to Viacom CBS, the business has gotten a lot better. It's just that hardly anyone noticed because the stock was still tainted by that Archegos disaster. For three quarters in a row, these guys have beaten Wall Street's expect- expectations for most sales and earnings. We're not talking blowout numbers, but they've been consistently better than expected. Well, we won't get the fourth quarter results until late next month. I'm optimistic. Why? Because in the fourth quarter, Vacom uh, CBS had a full quarter of. Football. CBS has a to the rights to the Southeast Conference on su- Saturdays, which is kind of like the NFL, frankly, if you ask me. And in the fall, then on Sundays, they've actually got the actual NFL, which is buoyed by fantasy football that forces you to watch boring blowouts until the end to see how your fantasy players do so you don't turn the game off. In fact, you know that just today we learned that NFL viewership was up 10% versus last year? The best since 2015. Perhaps because so many states have launched online sports gambling, and we haven't even hit Texas, Florida, or California yet. Hey, speaking of ratings, in addition to CBS, the Viacom side of the business owns a grab bag of popular cable stations, including uh, some that are newly popular, like Paramount Network, plus uh, formerly known as Spike TV. And Paramount Network suddenly got a hot property. Did you know that the season four premiere of Yellowstone had 14.7 million viewers? That makes it the number one show of the year in its time slot. Then there's this streaming business. Viacom's flagship streaming service, Paramount Plus, only launched in March of last year, but it's showing some serious signs of traction. Hey, we got a subscription to it at home to watch Mayor of Kingstown. And I don't regret it, even if I had a painful, albeit hilarious, memory of my wife confusing the star, Jeremy Renner, with the star of Avatar and then proceeding to show him a picture of our dog wearing glasses. When C- CEO Bob Bacchus spoke to my Squawk on the Street co-anchor, David Faber, last month in a solid interview, he said that Paramount Plus its subscriber growth accelerate in the fourth quarter. This season a winner. And that is huge. ViacomCBS took a very long time to get its streaming act together. They finally got good content and a smart strategy, which is a refreshing change of pace. How bad did it used to be? Well, let's go back to Yellowstone. It, I, if you want to watch the first three seasons of the Kevin Costner-led cable drama, you got to go to Peacock. Yay, that's us, the streaming service of NBC Universal, which you should definitely do. And not just because it's the parent company's network. Why can't you watch ViacomCBS' uh, biggest show on their platform? I guess before Paramount Plus launched, they wanted to be an arms dealer for other streaming platforms, and they're still locked into that licensing deal. But now they're taking streaming seriously. While they don't have Yellowstone on streaming, they do have two shows from Yellowstone, Showrunner, Kramer Fave, Mayor of Kingstown, and and 1883, which is Yellowstone prequel. Quality programming in every sense of the word. Hey, by the way, they also brought over the show Seal Team, which is a hit uh, back when it was on CBS. And, of course, you get your NFL games on Paramount Plus, too. They even have South Park. I hear the post-COVID episodes are wicked and essential. And that's just one arm of the streaming strategy. Why come CBS also has Pluto, which is a free ad-supported Internet television service? Pluto's already profitable in the United States, so the Martins are almost as good as broadcast TV. On top of that, they also got Showtime which, in addition to the Premier Cable site, also has a popular streaming service, although we can use a little extra programming, guys. Now, it's hard to know how to value this stuff, in part because the company's cagey about the metrics it reports for streaming. But sometimes soon management plans to hold an investor event where they're going to break out the numbers for this business in much more detail. What else? Well, once we got through Omicron, we think the return of the movie business should be a big help, right? They had a, a lot of blockbuster push back to 2022, including the Top Gun reboot and the latest installment of in the Mission Impossible franchise. At the same time, Viacom CBS has been selling real estate in order to raise cash. Perhaps best of all, the stock is finally getting some love from the analyst community. Deutsche Bank just upgraded from hold to buy a couple days ago. I think it could be the first of many. Bottom line Viacom CBS is certainly cheap, cheap for a reason. This has not been an incredibly well-run company. They also had that Archegos disaster. But there are signs that they've gotten their act together, and I think they're paying you to wait for the turn with that 2.75% easily paid-for yield. That's why I like the risk warrior, and that's why I think it is a... Buy, buy, buy! VJ in South Carolina. VJ. Hi, James. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent. Appreciate all your insights over the years. What are your thoughts on Roku? Booyah! Booyah! All right. Let's talk about this one. This is uh, one that, frankly, a lot of people have given up on Roku. And the reason why they've given up on it has to do with it's, it's considered Peloton and Zoom and Roku, something at home, and it's not making as so much money, and yet it still sells at 110 times earnings. So, Vijay, 110 times earnings, it just doesn't fly. I'm sorry. Let's go to It's Always Sunny in Illinois. Sunny! It is always sunny in Illinois. Happy New Year, Jimmy Chill. Happy New Year to you. A big Chicago, windy city booyah to you, my longtime friend. Thank you, Mike Nagy. Uh, Booyah to you. Well, you know. Oh, whatever. I'd like...
2: I'd like to give a shout out to all your users and tell them that my favorite book in the world is Get Rich Carefully, one of the best books I keep by my pillow every day. Wow.
3: I mean, thank you very much. I mean, people who like Get Rich Carefully, I'm telling you, are going to love the, uh, being members of the investing club because a lot of and what's in Get Rich member. Carefully, I am applying to the investing club. So let's go to work. And I just got signed up on that investor club. I love it. Very good. Alerts, everybody should sign up this, in another two weeks. You know, you're going to have to be there. What's going on? Well, Jim, I'm thinking about
1: investing in some media stocks. I know some of the bigger players are looking to get more content. So can you tell me what your opinion is on Discovery, Inc., with their content and everything? You know
3: what? I think they're run by a great guy, and they actually have some terrific assets. And I think they got them very little money, and I think they're going to turn it around. And I like that situation. And I'm trying to figure out their own plus, which apparently is very, very good. All right, Viacom CBS is clearly a broken stock. But more importantly, I do not think it is a broken company. There are signs that they've gotten their act together. I like the risk reward here. I like Paramount Plus. I like Mayor of Kingstown. I like the stock. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with the best performing stock in the S&P in 2021, Devon Energy. Can it continue to have a strong performance 2022 with that dividend and the price of oil? Well, let's see what the CEO says. And what does tech have that makes the sector bounce back so hard each time? I'm digging into the action. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last year, the single best-performing stock in the S&P 500 was a stock that we liked very much, Devon Energy. The oil and gas producer with a fabulous fixed-plus variable dividend that saw its surge. It's 178%. Devon is a poster child for the way the petroleum industry has transformed itself. These days, the oils no longer spend like drunken sailors. Every time the price of crude rises, instead, they conserve their capital returns to shareholders. Now the rest of the industry has taken to copying them. I mean, really, just like copycatting him. You might think that Devon would be due for such a breather after such a huge run, but oil's already on the rise this year, up almost 10% since the beginning of January, so it wouldn't shock me if there was even more upside. Doesn't hurt that the stock's got a nearly 7% yield based on what they paid just last quarter. In reality, it might even be higher than that, and the darn thing trades less than 10 times earnings. Do not take it from me, though. Let's check in with the bankable Rick Moncrief. He's the president and CEO of Devon, to get a better read on his business. Mr. Moncrief, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Hey, Jim. Thank you very much. Great to be with you again.
3: Okay, so, Rick, when I look for your handouts, it's always the same. They look like what we would regard as being, say, the Procter & Gamble companies. Big uh, repurchase. Uh, Authorization through year-end of buyback. Dividend remains top funding priority. Committed to improving balance sheet. Investment grade. How did this happen? How did you come up with a formula that makes it so that the company is like the great blue chips, and yet, it didn't harm the growth at all.
1: You know, Jim, uh, it's been about 15 months ago, a year ago, last September, when we, we announced what we thought was a well thought out merger with a well thought out plan between Devon and WPX Energy. It wasn't a 50 50 deal, it's 57 43, but it was truly a, a merger of equals, first one we'd, we'd seen in the uh, EMP sector in quite some time. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is our assets, our people delivered. And one of, the, one of the things that we uh, we laid out a year ago in September was that uh, we plan to generate a lot of free cash flow and our funding priorities. Uh, we, the first thing we would do is we would fund our, our base dividend, which Devin has paid for 28 years. The second thing would be to implement a variable dividend where we would take up to 50% of the remaining free cash flow, return that to uh, shareholders on a quarterly basis. And then anything above that, uh, we'd either keep it on a balance sheet or sheet, or we would uh, we would fund some share repurchases and certainly uh, retire debt. The fact of the matter is uh, the company was performing so well we implemented and actually accelerated the variable dividend implementation uh, we announced that in January and uh, of 20, 2021. and uh, it 's been very very well received uh, on top of that, as you mentioned, we did. We did uh, continue to see growth in a variable dividend throughout the year. And then in November, we did announce an uh, authorization for a share repurchase program. And so, uh, you know, the market has responded appropriately.
3: Now, Rick, the people who used to own uh, oil stocks, are frankly, you know, there were a lot of runners and gunners in the oil business, in the portfolio managers too. I imagine that you are now attracting investors that are just the quintessentially great long-term investors that you could never have had in the old days.
1: Well, there's a lot of truth in that, Jim. I think uh, running and gunning Maybe uh, I, I may just say that number one is that we were being compensated at that time for growth. And I think right. that the sector actually did uh, actually perform much better from a productivity standpoint than what any of us could have could have thought. And so the, the net effect of that is you saw a dramatic uh, growth in volume. I would argue that the discipline was starting to take place in our sector uh, just before the pandemic, and certainly the pandemic – uh, accelerated that uh, that as well. So you know uh, you're seeing more and more uh, of companies reinvesting uh, less of their free cash flow generation front front. So it's about thirty five percent currently. and uh, that really sets you up for stability, some uh, you know takes some volatility out of out of the uh, out of the picture. And then um, you know the, these dividend yields are are very, very impressive. You know when you're investment grade and you can pay those sorts of yields, we have a balance sheet that we have driven that uh, our debt that, uh, even off, you know, we're well below uh, one turn, and uh, you know, and going lower real, uh, well, real rapidly.
3: Well, so, Emo, uh, your your break even is very low, and with oil going higher here, I mean, eighty one bucks, you're making a ton of money. Well, you know, our break even, you, you know, you pointed out, we do have just
1: the quality of the assets that when you put the two companies together as as a result of merger, you know. 80% of our capital is going to the Permian Basin. And the and the uh, the assets we have in the Permian are, are virtually second to none. I'd, I'd put them up against uh, anybody. And, uh, you know, so it's it's going very, very well. We do have a, a break-even price now uh, just in that uh, low 30s uh, range, $30 per barrel. And when you start looking at, uh, to your point, commodity prices uh, I- improving uh, fairly dramatically as we come back in this re- you know, recovery from the pandemic, then uh, certainly it, uh, it it helps and so really pleased now i would I would say Jim that um, last year we were about fifty percent hedged and so we protected fifty percent right. uh, of our volumes with a net effect in the low forty dollars per barrel this year we're only about twenty twenty five percent hedged as we said here today so that tells you you have seventy five percent of your barrels uh, being exposed to the current market conditions which which is a real plus and on top of that you know, we're going to have um, a full year, full year impact of the synergies of $600 million a year that were the direct synergies as a result of the merger. Very, very pleased. So that, You know, you put those two together, and that's why we're forecasting over a 30% cash flow per share uh, story for 2022 over 2021.
3: Right, well, one last question. I know that there will be people who say, look, I don't care what they're doing. They're still carbon. Uh, they can never be carbon neutral, whatever. But it does seem like that you are addressing this problem head on and the things you can do when it comes to flaring, when it comes to being as clean as possible right. as a citizen in the world. I think Devin's second to none.
1: Well, you know, we're, we're really proud of our results. That being said, we we will continue to be very, very diligent. We've driven down our flaring volumes uh, dramatically. Uh, emissions are, are, are way off for past years. And, and yet yeah, we're not satisfied. We're going to continue to uh, look for look for uh, opportunities to to drive that lower and i and I have all the confidence that we will some of the things that we're doing jim is is not only are we deploying new technologies to help us but we've actually and I, hats off to devin in, in a prior years uh, invested uh, capital in in developing some new technologies and that's that uh, that fruit is coming uh, coming to bear and so we're really really pleased where we're at that's going to continue and you're right esG is uh uh, it's a it's a big issue for us and we're going to do things, uh, we're going to do the right things, we're going to do it the right All way. Right.
3: Well, next time you're back you're going to tell us about those and uh, tell us about this quarter. It's hard for me to believe that it won't be a good one given the fact that a lot of the hedges are off. Rick Moncrief, if you are at the, you are the leader of the new oil and gas people in this great country. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Jim, thank you very much for your time. Take Thanks. care, stay healthy. Devin, what can I say? I know it's up huge. But it is the best. Mad Money's back in. Just chill out. Just chill, Master Jay. The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when
2: Mad Money returns.
3: It is time. It's time for the labor (laughs) force. And the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? day. the lightning coming Tom in New York. Tom! Hello, Kramer and Booyah! Booya Tom! Happy New Year to you See? and glad you're feeling better. Thank you very uh, much. You're very welcome, bud. Uh, with the infrastructure bill passed and EV sales on the rise and needed infrastructure, this company has raised revenue guidance two times in the last year. What is your take on Charge Point? Okay, Charge Point is part of a very challenged group. I've done a lot of soul searching and, of course, a lot of research on this group. And there are too many players, and there has not been enough consolidation. So I'm going to say, avoid it. Robert in California, Robert.
0: Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How's it going, man?
3: Oh, uh, the Chill Man is going to is just kicking back. What's up?
1: Hey, uh, I saw the segment when you had Protein on, and I actually picked up the
3: stock at around, like, 58, and uh, it's, it's down now, man. Uh, what do I do? Do I buy, sell?
0: Hold? What, what do you I think? like
3: it. I mean, look, I think they have a, a very positive uh, Alzheimer's uh, for, uh, formulation, and they have other things. Um, I do believe, just so we're, we're really clear about it, and told people that Lilly is the winner because Lilly does not have the bad work that Biogen has wasn't looking for big money and has more prestige within the brain community. Frank in New York. Frank. Booyah, Jim. What's going on? Uh, not much, caller. you know. Hanging in. First what about you? First time, call, Long time listener. have to give a shout out to my pops, Big Frank. He put me on to you. Fantastic. Uh, question here. Squarespace. Ticker Sq Design your own website? out don't Wix, Adobe. No, I'm not. in this is direct listing. No support on Wall Street. I say no. Jane in Missouri. Jane. Yes.
0: Hi. Hi. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. I'm calling about Vale. B-A-L-E. It's a relatively inexpensive stock with a very high dividend. It's over 17%. I can't think of any other company paying that kind of a dividend. Should I be Larry? I'd love to. Yes, you should be Where
3: Brazilian company, a lot of problems, environmental problems. I don't trust it. We had Rio, uh, somebody asked about Rio the other day. I think Rio is a better company. Let's go to Samir or Samer in Florida. Samir.
1: Hey, Mr. Kramer.
3: Uh, thank you for taking my call. My mission is simple to say to you infinity thank you. Oh, quite welcome. Infinity, infinity, infinity. Thank you for everything you do. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. My my question to you is about Alibaba long term. Okay, Long term, I want you to go. Short term, it's obviously bouncing. Everybody can see that. Uh, Pre- uh, you know, President Xi doing the smart thing. He's walked away, letting all these stocks go up. He will hammer you again when they move up. So scale out. That's what I recommend. Scale out. It's going to go up, he's going to let it go up, and then he's going to hurt you again. Mark in Iowa, Mark! Booyah, Jim, from a charter member of the CNBC Investment Club. That's what I, I hope want. You We're going to do a lot of great things in 2022. Thank you very much. What's going on? Well, I hope you and NVIDIA 2 are well today. Oh, yeah. Keeping in mind doing well. Oh, I'm sorry. NVIDIA 2 is insane, in mind- frankly. Go ahead. <laughs> Keeping in mind your advice about pre revenue and speculative companies,
1: I called you a year ago about this stock, and the next day all heck broke loose. This company is proving its technology ahead of schedule and has commitments from three companies, one of which is a top 10 luxury car OEM, and the other one is Volkswagen. What's your opinion on QS QuantumScape?
3: Oh, man. Again, I mean, one of the problems. Look, this has the tractors. This has big detractors, and I've got to tell you, it makes me very worried uh, because uh, I want to see Volkswagen take a bigger stake in them, and they haven't done it. If they did that, then I think it would really get things rolling. And that, ladies and is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning
2: Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, why is the tech cohort so resilient, and how can it make you money? Kramer translates the ones and zeros next.
3: What does tech have that allows the sector to bounce back so hard every time we get a decent session? Wrong question. If you wanted to understand tech's ability to rebound, it's better to ask what it doesn't have. First, tech doesn't have much commodity exposure. You don't hear about huge price increases that they have to eat because they're buying lots of resin or because their steel cost is doubled, copper's out of control. They don't have much that's stuck in a container ship waiting in line at Long Beach. Second, at least on the software side, they don't have factories where things can go wrong. They're uniquely poised to do just fine, even when COVID's spreading like wildfire, because people can work at home, work with Zoom. Third, most tech companies don't have much exposure to the semiconductor shortage, which is mainly hitting the kind of cheap, Full-feature chips that you find in automobiles. High-end chips for high gadgets are very, very plentiful. For example, the data centers have all the chips they need because they're mostly filled with expensive, high-performance ones. AMD, Intel, NVIDIA have plenty of capacity to make those fastest, bestest, most expensive chips. Finally, these tech companies aren't static. The other day, we got a timely piece uh, of research talking about how Amazon... It it might might be doing something unusual. Why? Because the research journalists saw that they've got so many engineers working for them, they figure Amazon may have something big in the hopper. They call them under other bets. Well, as much as I like many industrials, they simply can't pivot like that. They're too busy trying to find people to work through operations. Tech, on the other hand, has no problem hiring if they're making a ton of money because they can pay, pay people a lot of money and they can have them work remotely. Now, investors are going to take their cue from the turn in mega cap tech stocks. They always do. They might assume this strength will spread to the smaller ones, more speculative stocks that make no money even as they have rapid sales growth. That's a mistake. Old tech, tech that's mature enough to be profitable, can work just fine here. But it's still way too dangerous to own stocks that trade just on sales if they have no earnings. By the way, those stocks all reverse today by 10, by 1030. All of this kind of stock that I'm mentioning. While they may go higher for the moment, I recommend using those moments to sell. As interest rates go higher, the universal stocks are go- that win do get smaller. It's like a game of musical chairs. The price to sale stocks, they've already lost. One last point. Right now, we've got raging inflation. If you want to keep costs down, tech is the best way to do it. Take retail. I, I can't believe how important technology has become to retail. You've got to digitize. I keep thinking about that bad quarter from Bed Bath & Beyond. So much of went wrong. Were systems not working well at the enterprise level which means they need to call in someone like a salesforce.com to fix everything. They can't do it themselves. It's a huge buy if they get the tech right because the merchandise is so much better than it used to be. In almost every rate hike cycle I've seen, there have been layoffs and closings. Companies can produce goods with far fewer people if they digitize. So maybe before you blow out all your techs, ask yourself, are they profitable? Because if they are, then you know that with numbers like today's CPI, up 7% from last year, you're going to get a series of rate hikes. And real earnings are the best way to protect your portfolio. Like I said yesterday, stocks do not belong in bushels. They're not like commodities where every unit is indistinguishable from the next. Stocks are their own animals. They do things that corn or soybeans can't. But if they're unprofitable, though, they'll be putting a bushel, A bushel, all right, a bushel of losers you just can't own. Hence why I'm always telling you to do your homework on in individual companies. That's what will get you through what should be a choppy period until rates go back down once the Fed's done its damage. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on oh, Mad Money. I'm Jim
4: Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.